Blog Talk Radio. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and the terrible day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance, as the Lord hath said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Amen, everybody. This is Brother Frank back with the Remnant Call. Glad to have everyone here tonight. Tonight is a special broadcast coming live from the homeless shelter. Um, this is something my wife and I are, are passionate about, um, and that is those who um, down out on their luck. And so every year we uh, take for a few weeks out of the year, different times in the winter times. Uh, my wife and I are down here staying at the shelter. I stay overnight. We come down here. And so I thought to myself, you know what? This is such an important topic, what we're going to talk about tonight. Why not do it live right from the shelter? So I'm glad to be with you. Todd's down here, my co-host, which you haven't heard for a long while, unless you listened to last week when we did a throwback. Um, but he is here helping through the shelter. And so tonight's message is called Judgment Day, the final question. Folks, what we're going to talk about tonight is so important. It's so important because the majority of believers ignore this part of the Word of God. They like to go to church or they like to profess to be believers or wear their Jesus t-shirts with their crosses on it or hanging around their neck. But to actually get out there and do something about someone's situation is hard to come by. Well, I found out something about the homeless. Do you know they actually do know how to take care of each other? I tell you, the church could learn a lot sometimes from the homeless. They have nobody. They take care of each other because sometimes that's the only ones they have uh, to take care of one another with. And sometimes in the church, those who can provide, those who are there every day and day out, we see our brother and we see our sisters in in trouble, and, and we walk by like nothing's happening. Well, I want to talk about that tonight, and before we get started, I'm just going to open with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus, because you are faithful, Lord. And when we were sinners and didn't deserve your grace, the Bible says that you died anyways. You laid down your life because you desired to be with us forever. And Lord, for that grace that you showed undeserving people, would you please Father, put that burden in our heart? to share with our brethren that the grace of God that he has shown us, that we would show them, Lord. I pray that you would encourage your body, your remnant believers all around the world, that you would encourage us, Lord, to get out there to share love to people that are down and out in life. I pray, Lord, as we look into the Word tonight and we, as we interview with different people, that, Lord, you would, you would touch our hearts and move with compassion and help us to remember that we truly are our brother's keeper. We are not like Cain. No, Lord, we are like Jesus who has asked us to love others as he has loved us, is my prayer 
In Jesus' precious and powerful name, amen. Well, I want to thank everybody for, and I'm not going to go through any any too much tonight messing around. I'm going to get right in because this topic is extremely important. And I'm going to have some people in here to share a little bit with you down here tonight um, to some of their experiences and how it's coming and serving and sometimes the fears that people go through. In the, in, in, folks, it's natural sometimes to be intimidated or to be scared. It's, it's okay. It's what do we do with that fear when we have? I'm going to jump into the Word, and you know the, this passage, I'm sure, from the I want to jump into it uh, tonight, and that's Matthew 25. And Todd, thank you for, for joining us. Todd had to be out here and was uh, taking care of some people, but now he's back in here. Todd, just say hello to everybody if you could for a moment. What's going on, long-lost family? Amen. Glad to have you here. Todd, I'm jumping into Scripture right now in Matthew 25. And I'm just going to read a little bit here and kind of set the stage for where we're going here this evening. And so Matthew 25, uh, verse 31. And folks, if you hear any noises, I'm sorry. I'm actually in a church. Is uh, is this their gymnasium? I guess and we're in a back, we're in the boiler room, basically running the program out of here tonight. So this is the remnant call on the road. So any strange noises, we apologize in advance. Matthew verse 31 starts like this. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another as he as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. So here Matthew 25 is bringing us right to the end time into Judgment Day. Here this is judgment of the nations right before God. This is it. This is this is the where he is going to separate the sheep from the goats. So as we go into this, remember, this is it right here. This is when judgment is cast forth. And it says in verse 33, and he shall set the sheep on his right hand, the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared. For you from the foundation of the world, for I was and hungered and gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and took me in, naked and you clothed me. I was sick and visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw thee and hungered, or fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we the stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? The king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these brethren, ye have done it unto me. So here, Jesus is setting this up here. In Matthew 25, this, this great judgment in the, in the end time, and, and he's talking about the first, when he separates the sheep, and, he, and he's talking to the sheep, Todd, and he's saying to him there, listen, I'm separating you on my right hand because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And, and the interesting thing, folks, is when you when you read this, you look in, in the sheep, their response back is like, when did we do this? Where, Todd, of the good works that they were doing? They were just out serving the Lord. 
and following him with all their heart, not even aware of what was going on. And so it's this interesting scenario, Todd, where God's own people who were serving him, who were uh, you know doing the will of God, they weren't even aware that they were actually doing it. And and folks, what's happening here is that we have so many people today that they claim to be believers that they're they're saying that yes, I'm serving God and I'm doing the works of the Lord and they're showing up at prayer meetings and they're they're doing that whole verse day keeps the devil away. But when it comes to actually out and taking care of God's people, I'm seeing that. Hmm. See, there, it's almost like like Cain has come into the church, Todd, in these last days. You know, am I my brother's keeper? You know, when God confronted Cain about where Abel was, and and and, and the sad thing is that we are our brother's keeper. Yes, we are. And God's calling us to serve His people. Now, Todd, you've you know through you were raised in church, but you then you took a hiatus for some years and went and did your own thing. And now, folks, the Lord brought Todd back a powerful way. And it's just so amazing to see. But, Todd, you a few years decided to come out and start being a part of this and, and taking care of the of the homeless. Todd, yeah, that's right. What was it like your first time when you came in here? Let's see. Has it been about three years now? Yeah, about three years. Man, the first time I did it. It's always been something that I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, doing it is a little bit different because you're dealing with people. I'll tell you what, you're dealing with very honest people. But um, most people wouldn't volunteer to interact with some of the personality quirks, some of the um, social problems that these people present with. And I say that lovingly because everybody's got problems, and I thought I had problems, Frank. I really did. Um, until, you know, you meet some of these people and they had been molested and they had been um, horribly mentally abused. Some of them, some of them have had misdiagnosed uh, mental illnesses to the point where they just can't function and just out here and they can't make it. They can't make it, man. If it weren't for people taking care of them, then they have a hard time. What is that that the Lord said? The poor will be with us always. I take that to mean not only the poor monetarily, but the poor with everything else. Mm-hmm. You know, the poor with uh, mental function, poor spiritually, will always be with us. And, and you, you know, there's we deal with a lot of some mental issues, but, but Todd, we see the people that just come in here, they're just down on their luck. They've hit a bad stretch, lost their jobs. Um, you know, we've got a family in here right now, you know, and, 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 you know, the dad's just trying to maintain and get through and, and got the wife and the kid, you know, here. And, and, and sometimes you can, you just feel so bad because it's to some people, it's shameful that you've, you've gotten so low, but yet you talk to them and, and sometimes it's those you look at that are down that, they end up witnessing back to us because they've got hope something better. Yeah. I don't know about you. I've heard a lot of fake Christianity in church. Yeah. I've seen some of the most real believers right here in the shelters through the years. I've seen some of the most real people 
Um, I agree with you. I concur 100% because these people have nothing to hide. They know that they they know where they are. They know that they smell bad. They know that they have no money. They know that they rely on you for whatever they have. They're not coming with any pretension or any delusion of grandeur. They'll just tell you, hey, man, I'm addicted to meth. The guy told me that the other day because he was telling me about how he was getting a new job. And I would hear this little bit of trepidation in his voice. And I said, hey, man, what would keep you from keeping this job? He said drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm addicted to, to meth, man. I, that's just the way it is. Yeah. Yeah. He was honest. You know, I've found, Todd, that God can deal with honest people. It's those that won't come clean about problems that you can deal with because they won't be honest about. And so, folks, you know, God's saying here is that the sheep, there is, God has this mission that he desires that we as believers would get out there and actually take care of those who can't take care of themselves. See, there's so many of us, we have our theology, we have beliefs, we have our obedience, and we have our values that we set up, and well, I don't do this, that, and the other, and those are all good things, folks. I believe in obedience and following the commands of God. But but at the end of time, this final question presents before the people is, did you take care of those who couldn't take care of themselves. And I know, Todd, uh, working here in the homeless shelter, um, going overseas to Africa and going on mission trips, Todd, have you ever experienced blessings more than when seeing joy come to a person who's down on their luck, has nothing to give except a smile back to you? Yeah, yeah. The, The gratitude you get when, you know, you can tell when somebody's actually grateful for what you've done for them you you can just sense and working in africa with the people who didn't have much over there um just giving us not only our services but our time and i'll tell you what i'll tell you what people out here with some of these people all all they need is for somebody to listen to them because so many people just write them off you just give them a few minutes of your time you listen to them and they're like hey man they'll see you remember your name maybe depending on what substance they may be or not be under, but uh, they'll see it and they'll have this sparkle in their eye because they just made a friend and not too many people allow that kind of interaction to happen because they look down on them. So, Amen. Yeah. And so we're gonna we're gonna bring in a few people tonight to to talk to um, that we have here that have that have been helping because folks don't tune this program out. Don't bring this out because this is the most important episode that we can do because serving others is so important because there is the other side of the story, and that's the good. See, God wants us to serve me, and he says, the sheep I'm going to put on, on his right hand he said, when he divides. And it's because when he, when he was naked and when he was poor and when he, when he, had, he was sick that, that his, the believers, those that call themselves followers, came and visited. But then there's another side of the story. In verse 41, it says, then shall he say also on the left hand, depart. For me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungered, and you gave me no meat. 
I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you took me not in. See, these people are claiming I'm a believer, but I do nothing to help my brother out. I do nothing to help my sister out. I do nothing to take care of, of those who God has called us to take care of, because, folks, while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you because he cared, and he's asking that you as a believer can do the same. And what he's saying here is if you don't care enough for your brother, then why do you expect me to care for you? God gave everything for us. And the sad thing is, these so-called believers, they respond back, and and then shall they answer also and say, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these you did it not to me, and these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous and the life eternal. See, folks, the sad thing about this is these believers, these who call themselves Christians, they thought they were doing everything right, but truthfully, they had deceived themselves because they didn't care for their brothers and their sisters and their neighbors and those that were down and out. You know, I got another person in here with tonight, and this is one of my most absolute special guests of all time. My mother is here and with me. Mom, you can talk right here into the microphone. And so, Mom, I'm glad to have you on the Remnick call. Can you say hello, Mom? Hello, Mom. All right. Well, pray God that my mother is here. Um, you know, I'm just thinking about you come in kind of got gets me emotional a little bit because, you know, Mom we went through some hard stuff when I was young. You sure did. We were really poor, and we didn't have a lot, but always people and God took care of us, didn't they? When we had no place to go, Claudia took us in. Mm-hmm. When we didn't have the place to turn to, someone was always there to take care of us. And, and Mom, we made it because God was good to us. And um, I, I'm very thankful to have a mother who, even when we were down and out, she never gave up. And she kept us all the way. And you kept me and her together um, all the way. And, and all the bad things that you know I did in life growing up, and and don't have to rehash that again. You know, Mom, thank you for never giving up on me. And I perform. Uh, well, thank you. I love you, Mom. But Mom, you too um, took a chance some years year back. We've been doing this now about ten years. You know, for. For me, and I'm going to share here in a minute when someone comes in here, how we got into really working with the homeless. Now, I, I myself, 18 years ago when I was converted, I learned how to preach in a homeless shelter. I wanted to do something, so I went down to a shelter about 45 minutes away from where I lived, and I would speak down there, and, and that's how I actually I, – I didn't have a schooling. I went where they had to – they couldn't leave if they wanted to, no matter how bad the sermon was. But uh, that's where I learned. But we we really got into real honest service about ten years ago, mm-hmm. and uh, that was when we used to house the homeless in our own church, um, and and then the homeless population grew so much that bigger churches in the area began to offer their facilities, and smaller churches would come in and actually take care of the people. And um, you, my mother's only five. Well. Truly, Mom, are you even five two? 
Not anymore. Not anymore. Okay. So here's my little mother comes in there. I'm sick, a lot of pounds, and my mother's five, even two. So here comes mom in here. Mom, the first time you came to the shelter, what were you feeling? I was scared to death. When, when Pastor Clark first pitched the idea to us that we would host the homeless, at first we're like, oh, sure, we'll do that. But the closer time came, the more trepidation we all felt, all of us, not just me. And that very first night that my group served, Pastor Clark was there. He said, now, we're going to serve these people, and then, and then we're going to eat with them. And I, I just, my heart stopped. I was like, oh, I don't know what to say. I just don't know what to do. But, you know, just push through. The more time you spent serving and saying good evening and how are you, the more comfortable you became with them. To the point that by the end of that very first evening, I realized the only difference between me and them was possibly a paycheck and a support system. That was it. They were the same as I was. And it was it was very humbling for every last one of us in that church that did that. Every year I look forward to the to the experience of being humbled again to serve people that, that just don't have what, what we have. Mom, you went in I know scared because I know my mother. She's afraid of cat. But you came out blessed. Oh, if you remember that very next board meeting that we had, it was a general consensus that did not need us. We had needed them. And that was the biggest blessing I think I had gotten in that church up until that point. Wow, that's awesome. They don't need us. We need them. Isn't that amazing? Mom, some of these people almost become like family through these, oh, don't yeah. they, to you? Mm-hmm. You go around town, you know the homeless, right? You see them, you look forward to them, they remember, and, and, and you, you build relationships. And in times, you hear some pretty heartbreaking stories of people's lives, don't Horribly you? Horribly heartbreaking. But, but as heartbreaking as they are, in the circle time for a meal, when you ask, are you, somebody have something they're thankful for? They are all thankful for something, the little things that we don't even think of. But every last one of them can think of something that they are thankful for. Mm, that's amazing. Mom, I just love you, and thank you so much for being here. Hey, folks, who gets to serve with their mother, right? That's a blessing. There are so many people out there that would kill just to have a parent, one parent that loves the Lord. And I've been blessed with not only parents, but family. And through all the things, then God has been the one who's carried us through. Um, but, folks, the seriousness is, is that I wanted you to understand Here's my mother who is a little tiny thing. She's 62 now, and she's out here. Sorry, mother. She's out here serving and sharing the good news by offering those who are down and out hope. You know, sometimes it's those few words that makes a difference in somebody's life. So you don't know when you're going to get to the kingdom. 
And someone's going to walk and say, you know what, it was that moment. I know you didn't know, but it was when you handed me that food. It was when you got me that coat. It was when you said those kind words that it made a difference in my life. And, and that's the, those are the moments, folks, that you are going to look and say, I can't believe it, Lord. I didn't realize it. I didn't know that I was actually ministering to you at that moment. Well, I'm going to bring in another guest. Uh, he is a man that he is coming in here in just a minute. His name is Al, and he has been around. He's homeless, and he's got some stories to share. You know, I remember we were in a Bible study group, a small group in the house, and um, we were, this was before this 10 years ago happened when we started. This about a year before we started really working at the shelter. There's a local place in town that feeds the homeless during the day. They're not an overnight shelter, but they, they feed. And we were in this Bible study group, and we were reading Matthew 25, and when we were reading it, we stopped and talked about it, and finally I looked at everybody and I said, look, when are we going to stop talking about this and get out and start doing something about it? And so our next Bible study group, we decided instead of us coming in here and reading and studying, which is a great thing, they said, let's go down and do something. And we called up there and said, hey, how can we partake? How can we get involved? And right like that, my group got out, out of their comfort zone and got down and started serving and taking care of people. And that's where we thought about shelter and got involved in that. And, and, and now it's become a lifestyle change. And so I've got my good friend Al here with me. And Al, we've known each other for about 10 years probably here. Don't just been about 10 years, hasn't yes, it? Yes, it has. Al, man, I love you because Al, you've, you've, you've had a hard life, haven't you, Al? You served, you served in the military, correct, and, and then you have lived on the streets for some time. 28 years. 28 years. You've been, now, Al, I've noticed something about you through the years. My mom was just talking a few minutes ago, and she was, she was realizing it was her first time coming to work with the homeless, and she was so scared. And then she realized at the end. That the homeless don't need us. We need them. And so, Al, you've been through those hard times. Why is it, Al, that you always have a smile on your face no matter where where you've been? Why is it that's different, Al? Why, why do you always, no matter what you go through, and you've been hit by a car, you've been, I mean, you've had everything happen to you wrong under the sun. What is it that keeps you going, Al? Well, <clears throat> once you get your life straight by the blood of Christ. You don't think the way you used to think. You don't do things the way uh, you used to. All of us have gifts in the heavenly kingdom to uplift everybody. And that was, I knew that's where my calling was once I got my life straight. And uh, the alcoholism, I went to private hospitals and they couldn't do it. Only Jesus Christ could do it. And I was in jail one night, and I knew who God was, but I was still running from him. Mm. I hadn't submitted my heart completely. So I've said, Lord, if you, you, if you who you say you are 
you will take this away. And when you start serving God, there's things going to happen. But did you know that the eagle is the only bird that will fly directly into a storm, whether it's rain, snow, sleet? But when you have Jesus, you go above that storm. Mm. And everything you do, when you look back at Jesus, he was on the streets. He didn't come for the rich and famous. Mm. He come for the broken. Mm. And I was broken, and I made a covenant with God once I got my life straight. He gave me the wisdom uh, to do what I'm doing. Uh, Read my Bible, I pray, and uh, I'm happy. No drug can give me this happiness. No alcohol can give me this happiness. And you're and you're homeless right now, and you're happy. Yeah, folks, that's just unbelievable. You've got something that's greater than any home or paycheck can give, right. and that's knowing that you've been saved by the blood of Jesus. You know, Al, we've through the years, you know, I've been here. I don't know how many people I've carried in to the shelter, couldn't walk. Um, if some die. Yes, we have. And we've had some get saved. Yes. And, um, you know, we were talking earlier about Roger. Um, and and I, I tell you, there was, I think, years I never saw Roger at all. And now we were just talking – He's been straight up probably about almost three years now and sober yeah. and going to church. And But there was one guy in particular, and, and we know, of course, Roger was one of the biggest drunks around, but there was another guy we both mutually knew, um, Tom. Now I can remember going back into the woods to where Tom was sleeping, so I'd take him candles and stuff, you know, st- stuff, supplies back in there. Behind where the salvation that piece of wood yes. at Mervacker where he had his mattress at. Mm-hmm. And uh you know things like that just make you realize how good life we have. And Tom was he was a drunk. There's no doubt about it. Tom had done many things in his life, a professional gambler, Las Vegas, he been in every city in the United States and a couple overseas. But he had a hard goal. Mm-hmm. If Tom had two dollars in his pocket and you needed something, he would tell you. Yeah, no questions asked. But and I agree. But when people looked at Tom, they saw a guy who couldn't, who who was doggier than a swamp bottom with, with alcohol, and 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 some people look down and wonder, you know, is. Could Tommy ever change? I mean, this guy had been drunk so long, but Al, I want to ask you a question. Is is anybody past salvation? No. These last 28 years, I've seen a lot of people die in many ways. Drugs, alcohol, hit by vehicles, shot, stabbed. I never give hope on hope. I never give up on anybody. When you in those streets and you're homeless, the world's done broken you, and in society, likes pointing fingers. 
And if you would tell a child he's never going to make anything day after day, he's going to start believing that. And that's what the world had done to Tom. Uh, they showed compassion, but they didn't have the compassion of Christ. Mm. You know, they was doing, giving lip service. And, you know, I've heard police say, well, he's back again, mm-hmm. you know. That's a human life. No matter what that person does, don't fight fight against uh, principalities, the darkness. But darkness will never win. Tom, this lady had, had worked at a thrift store. She started fixing him food and telling him she loves him, taking her home with her. Nobody had ever done that to Tom before. And he was so broken. I asked one time, I said, do you believe in God? He says, well, I'm not worthy enough. That's so sad. So as time went on, Tom started trusting this lady and other people that, but he had to learn to love himself first. You have to learn to love self, then you can love God. Mm. Because when you don't love yourself, you don't love anything around you. Uh, it, it's a bad stigma. If, if you have an addiction, you, you love the alcohol or you love the drug because uh, that's your whole life. This lady, when she began, though, to to take Tom in, to, to take care of him, to defeat him, something started to change in Tom, didn't it? Yes. He uh, knew that somebody cared about him. The first, I'd say the first time in his whole life that he was showed genuine gappy love. Mm-hmm. And uh, he got his own apartment and he went to church Sundays and Wednesday nights. And almost a year went by and uh, a friend of mine uh, he's deceased now. Went up to check on him, and Tom was like sleeping baby. Hugged him home. He got saved. He got saved. I've seen people raised off the deathbed. People don't realize how powerful the God we serve is. And if He done it for me and Tom, He'll do it for anybody. I don't care what the situation is. You humble yourself, put yourself in a spirit-filled church, and God will carry you under any circumstances. A thousand might fall by your side, but he takes care of his children. Now you're homeless, and you've got Christ. You've got everything, don't you? Yes. Money don't mean nothing to me. Everything we have belongs to God. Oh, and there's not man. too many people can say that today. Brother, I I love you, Al. I appreciate everything you've through the years, Al. You know, you're, you're the guy helping me take out the trash, doing whatever. You know, it's here I'm supposed to come serve you, and there's working along with me, helping me out, helping do things. And and Al, I just appreciate you because for a lot of people, you their only access to learn about Christ. Al, you try to share just like you were sharing with me earlier. Uh, with people that there's a better way out there. 
Yes, there is, and it's only through Jesus Christ. I've tried many times in my life to have the answer, but when you have Christ, nothing comes back void, and he answers all prayers in his time. When you pray to God, that prayers will be answered, maybe not at that very second, but God will give you what you need, not what you want. Amen. Um, well, Tom, or, uh, Al, thanks for um, coming in here and sharing some with the audience. Um, thank you for blessing me with your friendship through all these years. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. It ain't going to be long right now. We know it's the last days. It ain't going to be long before we're going to be on the streets of gold. Won't be any more of this, will it, Al? No. The best computer in the world cannot tell you how long eternity is because we're here for a very short time. Amen. Amen. Well, I appreciate that. Um, uh, sitting here and sharing with us, folks, here's a man who's been on the streets uh, for for years, and yet he knows who Christ is. And he, he is um, sharing, as a homeless man, the love of Jesus with other people. And and even though Al has been up and down and seen everything in the world, he knows because of his faith in Jesus that he's got a better promise waiting for him. And here's this homeless man who is a witness to other people and sharing the good news. Folks, we got more resources now, and we do nothing at times. It's time to get out of our pews, out of our whatever our funk that we're in, get up and serve somebody and your life will change Can be blessed by it. Jesus does through somebody who's just willing, who's just willing. You can't call yourself a, a believer. You can't call yourself a follower of Christ. You can't call yourself you know, a Christian and watch your brothers and sisters out there starving to death, not even take a moment to help them out. Listen, folks, there are people who use the system. There are people who do wrong. It's not everybody. You just heard from Al. There are people that are just down on their luck. There are people that hit one bad thing after another. And to look at that stigma on everybody is not fair. And how do we even know if you won't take time? You know, I use a general rule of helping people. The first time someone asks me, help them, no questions asked. I don't need to worry if they're going to do something wrong. If they're gonna if they're gonna go buy some alcohol or do something like that, the first time someone asks me something, I'm not worried. That's on their responsibility. Now if somebody's abusing the system, that's one thing. But stop putting judgment on someone before you even give them a chance. What if God treated us the same way? He never gave us a chance. Yet we, we didn't even deserve the chance. And yet Christ died anyways. He even endured the sufferings of the cross because he wanted to be with his people. Well, I've got another guest in here with me, my friend Graham. Graham is the church that we're at. He is the lead volunteer, and uh, he is a, an amazing guy who who started out as not a believer in life. Graham, you, you kind of came from the opposite side, didn't you? I did. Yes, sir. Um, yeah. You, you started out as an atheist. Well, I, I started out growing up as a young person in the church that became very disenchanted with what I saw and as what was preached was not what was being lived. Um, but as a cynical 
teenager who thought he was the smart person in the world also felt like I didn't need any part about this fairy tale, which I thought was a fairy tale at that time. Yeah, and so you had an experience and got changed around, and, and then you may decided in life you are going to become a part of not only the church, but actually do something, and, and that got you in ministry. It, it was quite a journey. Um, you know, during that time, I was actually in college, early 20s, and um, had, had, as you just mentioned, deserved nothing and earned nothing from God. Um, but through a set of coincidences, it was undeniable that he had a plan for me I had no business being a part of. Um, I'm, I'm conscious to this day that I was accepting enough to realize I had something planned for me, whether it was part of my plan or not. Uh, and so, yeah, after after marriage and kids, I became, which is kind of my major role now, uh, and we take kids on several mission trips, mainly so that we take what Scripture tells us and we try to live it. Um, so you're actually a youth pastor that is actually teaching the youth to serve and hoping to, <laughs> hoping to because you in your own life, honestly, that when you were growing up, what turned you off was with that people that talked about God, but then did nothing about it. They, what they lived was not what they spoke. Absolutely. Um, granted that, that can come across as judgmental. And at the time as a, as a snarky and arrogant 18-year-old, it probably was. Um, but today, what I have found is that every day that I am able to serve, Jesus comes alive in those moments. Um, we, we can read Scripture all day long. Uh, we can tell ourselves that we believe it. And to a certain extent, we will. But until we actually experience Christ alive in us as we his instructions and do them, do you really truly see it? Do you really truly believe it until it affects you in the world? Uh, that, that's where I stand. And it's not about doing good deeds to deserve something, God. But Christ has asked us to put it to motion. Um, as you've already read from Matthew 25, it's pretty plain and simple. Don't just talk a big game. You need to live it with me. Graham, I, I want you to share a moment here, just a, some story, story you shared with me about your youth, um, taking them to serve. Uh, and I'm so thankful we need more like you, Graham, that are actually discipling the young, uh, not just meeting them once a week, but actually discipling them into a life service. Um, but let's be real for a moment. Graham, because the truth is, we want to be real on the on this show because you've you've ran into the common struggle, uh, what we often call the eighty twenty rule in church, where twenty percent of the people do eighty percent of the work. Graham, you know, don't it's hard sometimes to get people out of the pew and into service, isn't it? It is, uh, and I. I think that it's one of the biggest struggles. I'm not going to call it. It's not a sin in essence, but it's a big struggle because we're so comfortable um, in this country and in churches. And um, it's easy to have a lot of faith on Sunday 
the problem is we live in a Monday through Saturday world. And if, if we're not being filled up on Sunday to imp out the rest of the week, um, I'm always curious what people are actually coming to church for then. Uh, so it's the 80-20 rule sometimes sounds like, wow, boy, you're being kind of harsh, Frank, or even harsh, Graham, but um, it really is about becoming involved, but it's scary. Um, it is scary to spout up a pew and to to meet people that aren't like you, but it's we're called to do that. Graham, I know that you've had um, – obviously, your life of service has made a difference in your personal life. Because you, the other night you told me, uh, now Graham, you, you know, you've, <laughs> Graham's Mister. Hey, you know, uh, he's 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 responsible. He's got it together. But you made a comment to me that you couldn't wait to get home and get done what you needed to get done because you couldn't wait to get back here to be with everybody. You could have been home in your recliner, probably watching TV comfortably. But you wanted to be back here. Why? Why? What is the call that draws you to be here with the homeless instead of sitting at home in the comfort of your own recliner? That that's a big question, um, and it it's not something that happened overnight. But I have I have found that as these relationships begin to form, we all have relationships in our own churches, in our own lives, maybe even in our own families, friends, cousins, or, um. I have found that, that these people that are experiencing homelessness are so real. Uh, they're, they, there's so little to hide. Uh, I know that you just mentioned that sometimes they can be manipulative in order to advance where they're at in order to get a meal for that evening. I don't overlook that or explain it but away. But that's not everybody. But it's not everybody. That's correct. Uh, but oftentimes what I have found is that on the first meeting, you get a little bit of superficial, hey, how are you? Here's my name. Here's kind of my story. But on the second night, when you return, they look at you like, all right, this guy came back for a second evening. Maybe he does care. And you get a little bit more. And once you've seen someone three or four nights in a row, there's a level of trust in this relationship that it becomes so real that when I see them on either on the street, maybe they're sitting out in front of the library in downtown and I recognize their face and they see me, there's a smile that comes on their face that I may not even get from my wife after work. Now that's not trying to judge her or me. We are busy. We're tired and those mm-hmm. sorts of things, but it's so real and genuine the relationship that I have with these people because they expect nothing from me other than friendship and love. And to be honest with you, they know that, I'm not here to fix them, but they expect nothing from me than honest friendship and love. My mom made a comment earlier when she was in here, Graham, that we don't, the homeless don't need us. We need homeless. True that. <laughs> that true is that. true. That is true. Graham, it's when you get into the stories and you find out about the stories of either sexual abuse, physical abuse, or whatever, or the hardship, or the the loss of family or loved ones, and that you understand that some of these people have been through some serious tragedies that we will never experience in our lives. Uh, the mission trip that are taking our youth on, or been a part of youth um, for about seven different occasions, is to Atlanta, where we 
um, minister to those experiencing homelessness in, in that setting. And the leader of that is, he's amazingly energetic and young man. Um, he said something one time as we were just chatting after one of our days, uh, and we're still trying to understand all the brokenness that are not just in those experiencing homelessness ourselves as well. He said, I'm either one of two things. I'm either blessed or I'm cursed that my sins or my brokenness isn't just as visible as those. Uh, uh, we're all broken in some way. And that for a lot of us that are not experiencing homelessness, maybe we can consider mainstream. I don't want to use the word normal. But that our sins are frequently hidden. They're, they're, we're able to submerge them underneath some sort of sod. We're all broken to a certain extent. And there but for the grace of God could I be sitting out in that congregation out there tonight with, a, uh, with our group. Um, Graham, you took a, a lady down on one of these trips that she ran. She came up into that uh, that ball that many times holds a lot of us back and a fear of of somebody that doesn't either look or smell or dress like us. Could you share that with us here for a moment? I I, I can, and to just put perspective on it, also, it's it's easier to share it now, eight years later. But at the time, I do. This was my first mission trip to ministers experiencing homelessness, and actually, we had twelve youth with us. And the youngest one was a young girl in the seventh grade who her parents were uh, struggling through a divorce, and but she still decided and wanted to go and serve on this mission trip with us this summer. So we got down there the very first day, and I don't know what to expect. I had done mission trips to Appalachia-type poverty, coastal poverty, and those sorts of things, where I have a hammer in my hand, and I'm banging on walls all day. But this week, I knew that I wouldn't pick up a single hammer. Um, my job was to go out and talk with people that I probably don't ha- or I assumed that I wouldn't have much in common with. And so the very first night, this young man, his name was Gabe, who ran this mission trip, and he was, again, this energetic, engaging guy, and he he told us, he said, you're going to go out in the streets of Atlanta and you're going to meet people you've never thought you'd meet before. You're going to smell smells that you've never smelled before. They're going to say things that will shock you. But you know what's going to happen is you're going to love them. It's going to be amazing how God is going to work. You're, you're just going to love on them. You're going to want to hug them. Um, and you're just going to get everything that you can out of them. And so we had this amazing experience this first night there before we did anything. And this young girl who I'd been kind of working with through her family experiences anyway, came up to me and said, well, Graham, can we go have a talk? And I'm very nervously. And so I thought she might be homesick or something of that sort. I said, absolutely. So we went and sat on a bench out in the hallway. And as kids can often do, they cut it to the quick real fast. And she goes, Graham, I'm not sure I can hug a homeless person. And that was raw. It was real. And I had to actually think about what she just said. And I looked at her and I said, Rachel, I'm not sure I can either. I can promise two things. That number one, I'm not going to ask you to do anything that you don't feel comfortable with. But number two, God will never ask you to do something that you're not comfortable with. And so we worked through a couple other things. And the next day we served lunch to a group in downtown Atlanta. And she met a man who I guess had been on the street for a couple of years. His name was Leonard. Um 
and they really hit it off. He shared his story with her, and she was actually able to share the difficulty she was having at home with her parents and how big of a struggle it was. Um, they prayed together, cried together, and uh, they really made a bond that day. And we returned back three days later to this same facility, and the way there on the bus, she said, Grandma, I really have Leonard again. I said, well, Rachel, maybe you don't, right? Because we would really like for Leonard to get out of this situation he's in, to find that independence. And she kind of tilted her head and said, yeah, I guess that's true. I said, I understand what you're saying, that you love Leonard to a certain extent, but let's hopefully we've prayed for his success. And so we get there and we serve and Leonard doesn't show up. And she looked the entire time with anticipation trying to see Leonard and we're folding up tables and cleaning up the floors. And she said, Graham, Leonard wasn't here. And I said, maybe that's a good sign. And about 10 minutes later, as we were getting ready to leave, I couldn't believe it when I turned around and who walked through the door. And it was Leonard. He didn't come for his meal. He didn't come to be taken care of. He knew that Rachel was leaving the next day. And he went to let her know how much she was in his thoughts and his prayers. And um, they hugged and they, they cried together and they prayed together. And it made a lasting impression, not just upon her, certainly me, that when Christ calls us to mission, we elevate ourselves and think that we're going to go out and fix some people. But that's not why he does it. Um, I truly believe he calls us to mission in our neighborhoods, with our own family sometimes, because of the relationship that he's going to create in us, change that he's going to make in us. Yeah, so many times this reaching out is for us. Absolutely. We need it too. And everybody asks me, Graham, you've got 15 mission trips. Why? And I tell them because I'm selfish. And they look at me like, what do you mean? I, said, I go because of what I get out of it. I'm amazed at what God finds for me. And I I can't quit that. I'm not going to if I can afford to do it. And um, so it's less about giving than it is about all that I've received from Christ on these mission trips. Amen. Graham, thank you so much for sharing. Folks, I just wanted to bring everybody in here tonight because the goal of tonight's program is inspire you to get out and do something. To step out in faith into a place that you're uncomfortable with. Maybe it's that neighbor that you've had this burden on that God's been laying to share the good news of Jesus with. Maybe it's that, that person at the store that you go in every week. Maybe it's that cashier that you, you see and you feel and you want to, but you're afraid to say something. I want to say right now, step out in faith. The one thing that could happen is that someone says no. The best thing that happens some life has changed forever, and there's another soul added to the kingdom. Graham, one day we're going to get there and be with the Lord forever, and I think we'll be surprised at the people that have been touched that we had no idea about, just like in Matthew 25 when they said, Lord, when did we do that? We had no idea because when we follow Jesus and we are doing what God asks us to do, not only just giving lip service but actually giving real service, you're going to talk at those few kind words. I remember, Graham, a few years ago, a friend of mine, Steve, we did a lot of drugs together. And I heard that Steve was going to church now. 
been some years since I had gotten straightened out and I'd heard about Steve. So I called Steve up and I said, Steve, man, I heard you're going to church. And he said, yeah. And uh, he was real great at mandolin player, great bluegrass mandolin player. He loved to play music and he was playing in church. And I said, Steve, what, what was it that, that turned around? And Graham, he said, you remember the day we were down, he and I were down working in the basement of this nursing home. And um, I had mentioned to him that one day, I don't even remember even saying it. And I told him, I said, Steve, the Lord's waiting on you. Now, I had no idea. I don't remember saying it. I don't know it. He said, I could never stop thinking about that. I had no idea. That the one simple word I said that day would would use it, and I hadn't even remembered what may we see one day in the kingdom because we took just a little bit of courage to tell somebody Jesus loves you and He can save you and change your life forever. Well, folks, I just want to say a special thanks. For everyone who's been listening and for all those that have came in tonight on the Remnant call, um, get out there. This time is short. We know that Jesus is coming soon, but folks, we have work to do. We can't just sit around and wait for the world to crash and just look at the sign only and, and say, oh, I know that the Lord's coming soon, and sit there while everything's falling apart and do nothing. We must be active in the mission at this moment. And I want to encourage you to step out to do something, to make a difference in someone's life. And I'm telling you, it will change you, and it will change others. So this is Brother Frank with the Remnant Call saying to everyone, good night and shalom. Oh,